Welcome everyone to this bumper episode of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Maguire. Hello, Michael, and uh, and to the dear viewers and listeners, Michael is on one today, so this should be this should be gold dust. It's been a re- <laughs> it's been a remarkable week. Um, Liz Trust fell on a sword, as we both predicted. We didn't predict Boris Johnson um, coming in on his charger and then uh, having to announce he was withdrawing. And now we have Rishi Sunak as the new Prime Minister. Congratulations to Rishi as the new PM. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Before we get it stuck in to what's been going on in politics, let's have a big shout out to our sponsor, Oscar Technology, who were named as the top recruiter by the Sunday Times 100 Best Small Companies to Work For. So Chris, you work in that whole world of technology and tech companies. How important is recruitment at the moment? Number one priority. Um, that's why Oscar Technology and Oscar Recruitment, um, that's where they fit in. Headquartered in Manchester, Oscar has offices around the world. Their CEO, Andy Morell, is born and bred in your hometown of Marple. Well, it doesn't get better than that. Oscar Technology, clearly a name that you can trust. Anyway, Chris, we're also, thanks to your, your hard work in preparing for this while I've been on my jollies, we're now on Twitter. So please follow us at Northern underscore spin one um and we've got quite a few followers have, already actually, yeah 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 i mean we're recording yeah. this on tuesday morning so we could have a new chancellor by tomorrow by the time this goes out but uh, when i just checked we had about 65 um followers in in less than 24 hours so we haven't <laughs> got we haven't got the hundred uh, that we need to get through to the next <laughs> round but i'm pleased so far yeah good so we are going to talk about um johnson and truss but let's start by talking about rishi sunak is he the man to save the Tories? And what does this mean for the North? So, Chris, tell us about your little poll you did on LinkedIn. Well, it's interesting, actually, that you can't bear to call Boris Johnson by his Christian name and you can't call Liz Truss by the name Liz. You just call him Truss. But you did use the name Rishi and Sunak in the same sentence. So pleased with that. I did a little poll on LinkedIn, only a small one, asking which party people would vote for if there was an immediate general election, which of course they won't be. You like be. your little polls and shows yeah, of happens, do. don't you? Yeah, yeah. I'd just like to get a little feel in terms of sense check what the... Uh, I, what... I think you guide the room too much so people don't put their hands up. Yeah, well, well I mean, I'm taking a leaf out of uh, Boris Johnson's book. Um, so I just asked the question, who would you vote for? And of the 200 and some odd votes that we got, 16% said Conservative, 65% said Labour, 19 said Other. Now, much bigger polls have put Labour 36 points ahead of the Tories. And I think it gives you a sense of the challenge facing Rishi Sunak. That's why Labour will carry on calling for a general election. And that's why the Tories will say no, because it would be an absolute massacre. The other thing to say, there is no such thing as the Conservative Party. What you've got is a series of very disparate, uh, marginalised parties coexisting under the banner of a Conservative Party. Now, the two things Sunak's got in his favour is that the economy is his strongest hand, certainly a lot stronger than his trusses. So he won't make any unfunded tax cuts that sunk trusses government. And secondly, the Tories can't replace him before the next general election without going for an immediate general election. So Labour's lead, I predict, and, and I'm on a good run of predictions at the moment, Labour's lead will narrow. But right now, I think it's all about damage limitation. The question I'd ask you, Michael, is do you think Rishi Sunak will be a good PM for the North? I'd like to broaden it out and say, will he be a good prime minister for the country? I think, to be fair, he will be an improvement on Liz Truss. 
I think, I mean, he's remarkably young. I mean, the magazine we used to edit, Chris, had a feature called The 42 Under 42. He would be in it. We could put him, they could put him in the Yorkshire 42 Under 42 this year for, um, for his age and youth. Remarkably inexperienced. He's got an, an enormous job on his hand that I'm, that I'm not convinced I think he's got the measure of. I mean, just have a, look, a little look at his track record as a chancellor. He gained a lot of popularity as Dishy Rishi, you know, the guy who was basically handing out free money as he funded the furlough scheme. He did his remarkably ill-conceived eat-out-to-help-out programme, which I thought was a needless waste of money. I think people, the sorts of people who would have ate out would probably have eaten out once lockdown restrictions had been eased anyway because people had accumulated a lot of money when they were working from home without commuting and, and other kind of lunch costs. Um, so I thought that was unnecessarily and, and just a piece of naked popularism. And bear in mind as well, his budget, his budget was hopeless. It was really, really counter to all his fiscal prudence that he's now going to have to start preaching whilst um, presumably Jeremy Hunt's going to continue as Chancellor to try to undo the absolute catastrophe that Quasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss have unleashed. He announced, let's not forget, Spending increases by de by departments, the largest increase ever of three point eight billion a year. I mean, how is he going to justify that? And how is he going to kind of have have the the narrative rhetoric to 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 defend that and sustain that while he's prime minister with a chancellor who's actually preaching austerity too? I think the. The world has changed a lot since 2019. I mean, if he tries to stick to the manifesto... that no, the Conservatives... 21. This is last year, Chris. Yeah, yeah. But if we look at... But the world's changed immeasurably since 2021. I, I, I think you're being a bit harsh on him in terms of talking about what, his budget. bringing up his track record? No, being, his, being an absolute disaster. I think he was no, quite I didn't a safe... Say be an absolute disaster. I think he was quite a safe Chancellor. Um, That's what I said. Yeah, absolutely. And quite a boring Chancellor. But right now, I think we probably want a safer and probably a more boring Chancellor than certainly we've had in the uh, in the recent history. I think the, to quote Liz Truss, I think the jury's out on him um, as what, a PM. Why, why do you say that? In terms of what? The jury being out. Well, because I think he's, you mentioned before, he's relatively unproven. I mean, he's had a, a big job at the, um, you know, at number 11. But what I would say, I mean, he's been, a, he's been an MP for seven years. I mean, he's 42. I mean, what I love, listening to various podcasts on the way into this today, he's the smallest chancellor in two, the smallest PM in 200 years. Oh, there you go. People's physical appearance. That's five foot six. No, I'm not saying that. You I'm can't just repeating. Stop yourself, can I'm you? just saying that's what people have said. He's the smallest PM in 200 years. He's the youngest PM uh, at 42. Uh, he's the richest PM with a, uh, a an estimated wealth, mainly from his wife's side, of 700 yeah. million pounds, et cetera, et cetera. Billion. I don't. I, I, no, no, seven hundred. Uh, uh, 711 yeah, million. That's right. Yeah, his, 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 yeah, yeah. his, his him and his wife between them. And obviously he was a very successful banker in his career at Goldman Sachs. But I don't think any of that matters if he does a good job as PM. Mm, right. So I never said he was going to be a disaster. I think you mischaracterised what I was saying there. I do think there's a sense at the moment that the grown-ups are back in charge. Um, I'm so pleased that we avoided the whole circus with the other one coming back. Um, but what I'm really, really, really annoyed about is the Northern MPs. You, you asked me, to be fair, will he make a good Prime Minister for the North? I did broaden it out by saying, well, let's have a look at how he'll be for the entire country, how he's going to handle the fact that he's going to make some tough fiscal choices, 
and presumably keep Jeremy Hunt in post, which calmed down the markets, which seem to be the people who are really in charge of the uh, the bond market, seem to be in charge of the country at the moment. No, I think the, uh, the people I'm most appalled about are the Northern MPs. The Northern MPs are elected in 2019, who constituency by constituency, the thicko branch of the Tory party, all as one seem to line up behind the other guy to bring him back. And I was just appalled by that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and and I'm going to make a point, and this isn't a political point against the Conservative Party. You accuse me of being a Tory. I'm not a Tory. I didn't. When did I do that? Okay, you said I'm the Daily Mail. Uh, you, no, I, <laughs> I merely pointed out yeah. that you used to work at the I did. Daily Mail. I did. I did. And some of that, some of that practice seeps into your analysis. Your visceral hatred of the Labour Party. No, there is no visceral you, hatred you, of the Labour your Party. Your will to want the Tories to be the natural party of government. I just sense that no. seeping out of your every pore. No, no. Well, you'd be wrong, but not for the first time. Um, you are a Labourist, and even you wouldn't deny that. Now, the starting point for me, for any politician, should be this: What's in the interest of the country? And the behaviour of some of the Conservative MPs over the last uh, the last week, and especially the Northern MPs, yep. has been absolutely outrageous. What we saw over the weekend was the most uh, egregious attempt by some MPs, many from the North, to whip up some sort of pseudo-momentum on Twitter behind Boris Johnson to convince the country that we had 100 MPs willing to back him, which, incidentally, I don't think we did. Um, You're what, accusing Boris Johnson of lying, Chris? I'm saying Boris Johnson might have been a bit economical with the truth. Now, while people were facing and continue to face the worst cost of living crisis in living memory, we've got James Dudridge, MP for Roachford and South End East, not somebody I'd normally refer to because he's out of our area, tweeting, I hope you enjoyed your holiday, boss. Ugh. Time to come back. Few issues at the office that need addressing. Hashtag bring back Boris. I mean, what planet is he on? That wasn't the worst one. I thought the worst... Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg with his Boris or Bust hashtag. I mean, it is a parlour game for these people, isn't it? Truly, truly appalling. Yeah, and, and if, if, if Rishi Sunak does one thing, it would be to put a rocket on, um, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg and send yeah, him back him to out. Somerset. Um, yeah. when, when Boris, and I'm going to use, when Boris pulled out on Sunday evening, it shocked all the MPs who'd come up behind him, so much so that James Dudrich tweeted, well, that was unexpected, off to bed. Now, clearly, he wasn't as well informed as he thought. Everybody who got behind Boris Johnson is, 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 is stained by, by poor judgment. So let's have a look at some of, the, some of the people who got behind him. I looked at a couple of things. I looked at the MPs who backed Johnson to resign in July, yeah. only to do a full U-turn and call for him to be the next Prime Minister. You've got to question their judgment. Secondly, I looked at some of the Northern MPs, many of them with wafer-thin majorities who backed the return of Johnson. Right. Now, for the purpose of this game, because I don't want to do all the talking, I'm going to play a game called The Vote. I think this could take off. Did you see Squid Game on Netflix? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, yes. you know. Now, what I'm not suggesting is that we basically subject all these Northern MPs who let themselves down to a series of physical and psychological tests with only the winner surviving. But what I do want to do is I want you to decide whether or not you think these people, based on my description, should be saved at the next general election. Do you understand the rules of the game? Yeah, but I think I'm going to say don't save any of them okay. or, or all of them. <laughs> we, well, that, so, get, come on. All right, okay, all right. Okay. Let's, let, I will indulge you on okay. this. Let the games begin. 
Our first contender, Michael, is Simon Clark. Simon is the MP for Middlesbrough South and he's Cleveland. He's also the levelling up secretary and has been an MP since 2017. In July, he posted this about Boris Johnson's resignation. I'm deeply saddened, but this is the right decision. The country needs ministers in key posts, but this situation is impossible. Fast forward three months and he backed Johnson to succeed his trust as Prime Minister and said this. Boris is the person trusted by voters to level up opportunity across the country from north to south. Then on Monday, he tweeted, Rishi Sunak is the right person to assume the immense responsibility of being Prime Minister and will have my full support. Michael, would you save Simon Clark? Absolutely not. How many U-turns is that? Well, if you do a U-turn on a U-turn, follow it by a U-turn, you're in the same position you were at the start. <laughs> so he could argue that he's not done a U-turn. Um, absolutely yeah. outrageous. Well, as far as I'm concerned, then, he can get in the same polluted sea that his mate Ben Houchin, the mayor of Tees Valley, has killed all those shellfish off the North Sea. In. For the points, you know, for the fairness, uh, Ben Houchin, of course, would uh, would well, say you, that you he's like not him, responsible. I think, he's a, I think he's got a good profile. And I've spoken to people in Teesside who like him, but yeah. I don't think you can but, pin but the he's, death. He's like the Boris Johnson of it, though. It's all, it's all huff and bluster. You can't, you can't point the death of crabs and lobsters yes, at Ben Houchin's door. Yes, well, Ben would, uh, Ben Houchin would disagree. Next on this game. Would. Next on no, this and game. No, and he does, and he, and he questions the evidence of the marine scientists okay. who've actually analysed the water that have killed all these shellfish in the North Sea. Let's invite him on the show, Ben Houchin. You're invited onto Northern Spin to put your side, put your story side of the story forward and argue um, with uh, with Mr. Taylor. Next, yeah, we have well. Lee Anderson. Ugh. MP for Ashfield, which I'm including in the North Just. It's more Nottinghamshire. He won in 2019 with a majority of 5,733. In July, Anderson withdrew his support for a beleaguered Boris Johnson and said this, I quote, integrity should always come first. And sadly, this has not been the case over the last few days. Fast forward to October the 22nd. Couldn't find him on Twitter. A lot of MPs have taken themselves off Twitter. He took to Facebook to write, my choice, Boris Johnson just called me. We have had a long chat about everything past and present. My inbox is full of BBB. Bring back Boris. Ugh. I'm drawing a line under it. Boris has my support. Michael, are you saving Lee Anderson? No, I'm not. And I think anybody who... If, that's how desperate Johnson was that he has to ring people like Lee Anderson. Do you know he used to be a uh, Labour councillor? Yeah. He's he le leader of the councillor, uh, leader of the council in Nottinghamshire. He, didn't he swap from Labour to Conservatives mm -hmm. in 2018-19? Something like that, yeah. And he beat Gloria Del Perro, who was the MP there. Yeah. So um, anyway, he also is in private eye this week or this fortnight um, because he likes to thank good lads in his constituency from a, from a scooter club in Ashfield. And one of the people he likes is pictured with a T-shirt with no remorse, white power on it. Neo-Nazi groups. So they're the good lads that he likes to align himself but with. You say that was, you'd say that was more poor judgment than him endorsing the people in those neo-Nazi Another example of poor judgment. Okay, like another the one example. supporting Boris Johnson. Next, so basically we've got no for these two. Next we have Anthony Higginbottom, MP for Burnley and Padium, who was elected in 2019 with a majority of just 1,352. He wrote in July in the Burnley Express, loyalty matters, but as the MP for Burnley and Padium, my first loyalty is and always will be to you the public it's for that reason that i can no longer in good conscience continue supporting the current leader boris johnson 
of my party. You're not going to tell me he changed his mind, are you? Yeah, pick yourself up off the floor because oh. that's exactly what he did. After Liz Trust resigned, Mr. Hagenbottom wrote, over the last 24 hours, my inbox has been undated with messages. The majority view and my view is clear. It's time. Hashtag bring back Boris. Are you saving Anthony Higginbottom? No. And hopefully Oliver Ryan will absolutely whoop his arse in the next, <laughs> uh, in the general election. It will soon. come soon, I hope. Okay. Next, we've got a personal favourite of yours, Jonathan Gullis, MP for Stoke-on-Trent North. One in 2019 with a majority of just over 6,000. In July 2022, he resigned, I quote, with a heavy heart as a parliamentary private secretary to the, sec- to the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. But in October, he said, I hope Boris will come back. Are you saving Jonathan Gullis? Uh, no, I'm not. He's, I really dislike Gullis. There's a real aggression about him. I've seen him interviewed on TV news a few times. I've seen him absolutely baying in Parliament. You know, when Johnson used to get his, his backbenchers whipped up with, you know, his his bunterish um, insults to uh, Keir Starmer at PMQs. You could always see Gullis on the second row roaring on with his teeth grinding like he was kind of fired up by something unnatural. And he's got a real snarling bully look about him. No, I don't, I don't like him at all. So I have great pleasure in um, pointing out his hypocrisy and saying I hope he can get in the sea as well. Politicians, there's not a sea in Stoke, is there? No. Okay, but he could go to the sea. Get in the clay. Get in the clay. The canals. Okay, politicians are allowed to change their mind. Absolutely, we all change our mind. But to do to make such a dramatic U-turn in three months and to say that somebody who you wanted to resign should now come back is absolutely absurd. And what it does, it makes a mockery of, of us as a country. You've just been to Porto and, and we're a laughingstock. Yeah, we are. So I, I, I was in Portugal for a, a, a mini break for the weekend and... You know, I'm, you pick up international news newspapers in our hotel reception. We watch Sky News in, in our hotel. You see people watching TV in the bar and people are laughing. They, they see this clown as our, as our former prime minister. We've had a prime minister that lasted, you know, fewer days in post than Brian Clough was manager of Leeds United in the 1970s. And... and Britain has become a laughing stock. We'd go into bars and put on Australian accents so people didn't think that we were actually British so we didn't have to engage in this conversation about our national embarrassment. And one of the people that I saw up there on on the TV screen on Sunday morning justifying bringing back Boris Johnson was Andrew Stevenson, who's the MP for Pendle, where uh, my wife's originally from. Um, You know, he was doing the airwaves and doing the tour that he wanted to bring him back. Here's the thing, though, Chris, the thing that, annoyed me so much about so many of these people. It's not about what's in the national interest, as you quite correctly said at the top of this show. It's not about who's got the skills, the statecraft, the maturity, the attempt to ease the markets, the attempt to build international relations, to be statesmanlike. No, it's all about who will be an electoral vote winner for their seat at the next general election to save their own bacon. I think it's absolutely shocking. See, I understand why people would want to save their job. I absolutely get that. But, I mean, Andrew Stevens, who, uh, Andrew Stevenson, who you mentioned, who's been the MP at Pendle since 2010, I've met him. He, he comes across as a nice enough guy. But he tweets, I'm backing Boris. And then on Monday, he tweets, it's clear the best person to unite the party is Rishi Sunak. He can count on my full support as OMP. You know, Andrew Stevenson, I mean, I mean, why would you do that for? It's not like you're an inexperienced MP. And, and I don't want to go through every single MP. I'm not no, gonna please go, don't. But, but I'm going to mention some others, if I may. So one of these that you're going to mention used to be a colleague of mine when I worked at Insider Media. 
before you, before your time, obviously. So tell us who these are. And at the end, do you want to guess which one, which one was a former colleague? Well, you've, 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 uh, you've bowled me a googly there. Um, James Grundy at Lee won in 2019 with a majority of 1,965. Very publicly backed Johnson. Ian Levy, Blythe Valley won in 2019 with a majority of 712. First Tory MP to win that seat since 1950. Mark Eastwood, Dewsbury, won in 2019, majority 1,561. Mark Eastwood's the one I'm going to go for. Uh, could be wrong. Scott Benton, Blackpool South, won in 2019 with a majority of 3,690. He said, in support of Johnson, we need a leader with a proven record of delivery and getting the big calls right. <sighs> Chris Clarkson, Haywood and Middleton, won in 2019 with a majority of 661. A According to Conservative Home, he backed Johnson, having backed Sunik in the first leadership campaign. And this one really incensed me. Brendan Clark-Smith, Bassett Law. He won the safe Labour seat at Bassett Law in 2019 with a massive swing for the Tories. Was pictured wearing a Boris, Boris, Boris t-shirt. Uh, that tweet is not aged well at all. He's since tweeted his support for Rishi Sunak. Now, there are countless other... MPs who've done exactly the same. It yeah. shows really poor judgment. Trudy Andy, Harrison, Jill Mortimer in Hartlepool, uh, who's, who, who's only ever said three things that I can remember. One is back Johnson, one back Truss, and now saying she wants Johnson back and now she's back in sooner. Not, not all MPs, not all Conservative MPs have made mistakes. I mean, Andy Carter, who I mentioned in last week's uh, episode, he's the MP for Warrington South Tory. Um, you see his timeline on Twitter and it's all about him doing constituency work. It's not about him nailing his colours to the mast and saying he wants, you know, uh, Johnson to be the next Prime Minister. Um, you know, and, and I just think it's absolutely outrageous. And I actually think, you know what? If these MPs who, who, who supported Boris Johnson so vociferously, there's a general election right now, I think they'd all lose. Am, yeah. I, am I being unfair? No, I think you're right. I think uh, the tide has definitely swung. I think the public have made their mind up. I was reading something called The Tides of History over the uh, last couple of days and looking at uh, the way the tide turned in 1992 after Black Wednesday and people, the, the, the media, I think the, the, the general public just lost trust in John Major. I think the same thing's happening now. They've just had enough of the Tories and they want change. Uh, I can't disagree with you on that. And but, but what I do worry about is their, their ability to make the decisions that will stabilise the economy, that will ease the cost of living crisis, that will stop there being a massive house price crash, which I think is on its way, and potentially as well letting the north down with a series of infrastructure cuts like Northern Powerhouse Rail. Where's that now? Is it the watered-down version that Johnson promised? I mean, Liz Truss's promises aren't worth the paper that they're written on, but um, we'll have to see what Sunak does. I think we need a short break. I'm out of breath. I'm, 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 I'm so angry, um, but you've calmed me down, Michael, with your laborist tendencies. So let's have a short break. So we're back after the interval and it's just occurred to me, Michael, that you asked me a question. You said, which one of these MPs used to work with you at Insider Media? I guessed at Mark Eastwood at Dewsbury, who won in 2019 with a majority of 1,561. No, you didn't. You James Grundy from Lee. No, I said James Grundy off air. Oh, but then, then when I looked at the names, I did a U-turn. I'm allowed to do a U-turn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in vogue. And I guessed at Mark Eastwood. Am I right or wrong? You are right. I, I got a phone call after the 29 general election, 19 general election from an old colleague, Andy Coyne. And he said to me in that kind of hushed tone where you drop your voice, he went, have you heard about Mark Eastwood? And I thought he was going to tell me he died. And I went, no, what? He says, oh, he's the MP for Dewsbury. And I honestly, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, I don't... I, I don't mean to be mean about him, but 
I don't ever recall having a conversation about politics and, you know, there's no reason why we should have done. But um, he was a salesman in the Yorkshire sales team and he went on to become the MP for Dewsbury. Yeah, well. And now he sports Boris Johnson, so he's dead to me. <laughs> well, we've got a lot to talk about because we do need to discuss Liz Truss. Yes, okay. <laughs> what a disaster. Yeah, what absolutely. An absolute disaster that proved to be. So do you want do you want me or do you want you or should we alternate in yeah. going through we could even do some um, gentle music over this, couldn't we? About absolutely. Liz Truss's inheritance. Yeah. And her legacy. So well, let's have a look at some of her calamitous mistakes. Yeah, yeah. You first. Well, they produced a video, you know, of her of her best moments. It's a short video. Um, I think I'd take the first one. Okay, the first one was getting rid of Tom Scholar, the most senior civil servant in the yep. Treasury. Smacked of arrogance for her and Kwasi Kwarteng. And it, it was actually the first seed of her eventual demise. Yeah, it is. It's that whole idea that we're doing away with Treasury orthodoxy because we know better than people who've been doing it all their lives. Um, yeah, she also packed her cabinet with people who supported her. I heard a really terrible story about how she sacked Johnny Mercer, the um, the veterans minister, who seems like a decent enough bloke for a Tory. I like him. I like him. Yeah, he sticks up for soldiers, doesn't he? Um, maybe, maybe a bit. Maybe you have a different view of that if you're if you had a family member who was killed at Bloody Sunday. But there you go. Um, yep, yeah, go on. Number three, yeah, Chris. Yeah. Well, she made promises. Um, I don't think because she could articulate herself very well under pressure that she couldn't keep. So she had to perform U-turn after U-turn after U-turn. That, that will be Liz Truss's legacy, the word U-turn. Yeah, and, and, she, and, and sacking, of course, Kwasi Kwarteng, her yeah. um, close colleague and close friend. What other, what other highlights have you yeah. got down for Liz Truss? Um, she lifted the cap on bankers' bonuses. I mean, she even called them bankers' bonuses. I mean, if you were actually, actually a skilled politician, you'd call them something else, wouldn't you? Um, and that just showed how out of touch she was with the rest of the country. Her biggest mistake was the idea that you could borrow billions of pounds to pay for tax cuts for the richest and not realise the impact that would have on the markets. Unbelievable. And the idea of, you know, trickle-down economics and then saying, and then getting ministers to say it's not trickle-down economics at all. That, was, that, was, that did for her. Yeah, she also said she was going to lift the ban on fracking which adversely impacts the North and is an energy source which pumps more hydrocarbons into the atmosphere, thus making it even more difficult for Britain to achieve its net zero target. But it did, of course, give us the great interview with Graham Live on BBC Radio Lancashire, your yes. friend. Yes. Um, she ditched levelling up completely. Um, yeah, seemingly so. Um, we, we, Although the department is still called the Department for Levelling Up, um, it's well, not a policy that you hear very often uh, anymore, is it? Keep an eye out on Simon Clark levelling up secretary to see whether or not he holds his job. Very interested in that. Floating in the North Sea with his dead crustaceans, <laughs> hopefully. Um, I think the reality is Liz Truss was massively out of her depth as a Prime Minister. Um, although her reign at the top might have only been 50 days, if you're trying to get a new mortgage or a remortgage, like I'm trying to do at the moment, wow. we're going to be paying for this for years and years to come. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Um can I just say, Chris, at this point, I just want to pay a little bit of a tribute. You know, you always accuse me of being over Labourish, and I take that on the chin. I, you know, I have been a Labour candidate in the past. Um, I do work um, in a political role for a local authority. But I just want to do a little tribute to William Ragg, who's my MP in Hazel Grove in Stockport. Um, he's had a bit of time off work recently because uh, his depression's come back. He's been very out. He's been very brave about it. It was actually during the hustings during the election that I stood against him, where he talked about his battles with depression, and I and I did encourage people to to support him for his bravery in coming out about that. Um, he's been really bullied 
by the whips in Parliament um, because of his stance against Boris Johnson. I don't agree with him about Brexit and I'm not happy about the fact that his office was opened by Boris Johnson when he was Mayor of London uh, in the in the centre of Marple. But it, Will's been really brave and last week he stood up and he railed against the fact that um, the Tories had made a whipped issue, a vote of confidence issue about fracking. He's against fracking, but he said he would have to vote for it or he would be stripped of the whip. He wouldn't be able to be the vice chair of the 1922 committee and he wouldn't be able to continue to scrutinise the government on the other, I think it's the public accounts, the public policy committee that he's the, uh, he's the chair of. That's kind of conducting himself as an MP. And he said and he, he said openly in Parliament, his letter about this trust has gone in. So I hope you get better soon, Will. hope you're doing well. You're very welcome to come on this podcast and, we'll, and I will gently chide you about your stance on Brexit and some of your ridiculous nimbyism you know, on some local issues in the Hazel Grove constituency. But, but and, and well said, and, and I, would, I would echo all of that. It comes back to the point we made on the last episode of Northern Spin, though there are some really good MPs out there, backbench MPs, and William Raggs clearly one who's who's a very good MP. And yeah, we hear Jacob... I, I didn't say he was a very good MP. I, I did stop <laughs> short of that. Okay. Um, so I just wondered if you'd gone completely blue. Um, no. But, but there are MPs out there who, who are much better than, I think we can agree on this, the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nadine Doris and Michael Fabrican. I mean, what's he all about? Um, these people aren't an asset in the next general election. I, I don't know, we, we sort of spoke about it briefly last week, but, but Charles Walker, the backbench Tory MP, on the night of the fracking vote, he spoke, and he spoke for me when he said, I've had enough of, this is before Liz Truss has handed in yeah. a notice, I've had enough of talentless people putting their tick in the right box, not because it's in the national interest, but because it's in their own personal interest to achieve ministerial positions. Now, yeah. he's standing down in the next general election, but he is the same voice of the Conservatives that we need to hear. Well, just to just to temper that a little bit, you know, this is somebody who's um, supported Brexit. He's supported um, every austerity measure since 2010. You know, I'm, I'm not prepared to cut them quite as much slack as, as you are. But he's absolutely right. People have not been promoted on merit. There are a whole swathe of people in the, in cabinet positions or in junior ministerial positions. I'd, I'd reserve a certain amount of ire for Andrea Jenkins, who is the MP for Morlean Outwood, somewhere yeah, yeah. like she that in Leeds. Ed Balls she did, she? she beat Ed Balls. She's a higher education minister, and the only thing she's got to say about issues in higher education, and I know that because I used to work in the sector, um, the only thing that she's had to say related to her brief is continually trying to re-prosecute these culture wars. And that's where I fear the Tories will fight to really claw back points against Labour, that they'll deploy these people, like Nadine Dorries did with her ridiculous some of her ridiculous stances, you know, the privatisation of Channel 4, trying to weaponise Channel 4 as, as a political football. I'm, you know, I'm really, really anxious about people like that um, and the stances that they take. I completely agree with you as well about Jacob Rees-Mogg. He's, he's a joke, an absolute joke of a character. 
and the way he try, uses his, his posh tones, particularly when women are interviewing, yeah. to try and gaslight them into saying, well, what do you think? I'm not going to do an impression no. because I'm not going to grace him no. or dignify him with that. No, but, but I no, heard he's that. He's appalling. And he, and he did that, that dreadful, dre oh, we've already talked about it. So No, I heard him, I heard him being interviewed on Radio 4. And, uh, he needs to go. Radio it, 4. Absolutely. If Sunak wants to build any credibility whatsoever, he needs to get rid of people like Reese Mogg already. Nadine Dorries has gone. She was just... She, it was almost an embarrassing Boris Johnson fangirl, wasn't she? The fact that those two got senior positions in the cabinet tells you everything you need to know about Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, but we're going to have a break. That's the end of part two. It's a longer episode than normal because we've got so much to squeeze in and we think it's so important to discuss some of those issues. But after the break, we're going to be talking about political podcasts and we're going to be mentioning <laughs> Emily Maynard. Welcome back to part three of the Northern Spin podcast. So, Chris, what other political podcasts do you listen to and what, what was your inspiration for us doing this one? Well, I should just mention, actually, that um, according to the Apple podcast charts, we are still, we're not big in Switzerland anymore. We're uh, big in Portugal. Uh, we, we, we might be, but I think our, our podcast got to number three in the government section, according wow. to Chartable. I might be misreading the figures or using them for our benefit, but uh, yeah, I think we got to number three in the Apple right. podcast charts. We're very pleased with that. No, I listen to pretty much anything. Newscast, uh, Adam Fleming is brilliant. The rest, of, the, the rest is politics with Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell. Love that one. Red Box uh, with Matt Chorley, who incidentally responded to me on Twitter at the weekend. He's I not think. from Chorley, is he? He's not from Chorley, but he did a programme in Chorley, but uh, he's great. Any tweets about Chorley he likes, which is really nice. Coffee House Shots, I like that one. And that's, that's the uh, spectator, it isn't is, it? It yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit posh for me, but, but, um, <laughs> but I like it. And uh, News Agents, which is a new one with Emily Maitlis, John Sopel and Lewis Goodall. They're all great journalists. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Good. No, that's a good selection. I listen to the New Statesman podcast. Andrew Marr pops up on that. I think Anoush Shikalian is one of the best political journalists working in this country at the moment. I love Tortoise Media, which was a, a tech startup, a, a new startup by James Harding, former editor of The Times, and Matt Dancona, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, columnist. They also do some great content in, in other areas, world affairs uh, and what have you. I like The Mill. The Manchester Mill, that's, they do a terrific podcast with Daryl Morris and Yoshi Herman. That's, that's particularly good. Of course, there's the Northern Agenda one that Reach, that Reach Media do. Yeah, Mr. Parsons. Yeah, and Politics on the Couch by Raphael Baer, produced by my old pal Phil Berman. Mm. That's uh, a few others that I listen to. Raf works um, for The Guardian, of course. I think it's really important to listen to different podcasts as well to get different views. Yeah, definitely. Know, so that we can sound more informed. And I also listen, of course, to the uh, the BRFCS podcast on... Uh, oh, no, that's Blackburn Rovers. That's the Blackburn Rovers one that you're involved with. Yeah, I am. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, Emily Maitlis, what do you want to say about her? Um, I like Emily Maitlis. I think she's a, a terrific journalist. And she's been on a bit of a journey. So she was at the BBC. She was on Newsnight. She got into trouble for some analysis that she did around the whole um, Dominic Cummings going on his eye test trip to Barnard Castle. And she said, you know, the public are at odds with this. The government can't see it. And I, and I don't understand why. And she was put under intense pressure. She did a lecture at the Edinburgh Television Festival talking about her experience of that. She also talked about the fact that you can't mention Brexit, that the Labour Party don't want to address um, Brexit, that, you know, for fear of upsetting constituents in seats like the one that Lee Anderson and Andrew Stevenson have at the moment. And so, um, so I think, you know, she's been on a bit of a journey. 
And and I think she's kind of got this, you know, the um not I was gonna say the hackles raised. She's got the shackles off. Yeah. So I think she's she's free to say what she thinks. I still think she's very analytical and and gives really, really good insight. She was on holiday in Vermont last week and she talking to John Sopel and John Sopel said, we've just heard that Boris Johnson is going to be uh, entering the race or could be entering the race. And her immediate reaction was, oh, S-H-I-T. You know, we don't swear on this program. We don't. Um, incidentally, John Sopel dropped the F word and I tweeted him to tell him that I didn't like it. You know, oh. you know, honestly, no, I didn't like it because I'll tell you why I'm trying to encourage my kids to get interested in politics and I don't want them listening to the F-bomb. Um, in <laughs> fairness to him, he said after the second F-bomb that he'd been told not to use the F-bomb. So, he might have got my message across. Uh, the question is, should podcasters be allowed to have an opinion? I think in terms of Emily Maitlis, Emily Maitlis, I think uh, my answer would be yes and no. I think the BBC have got a straitjacket because of their funding arrangement. So they have to be impartial yeah. to the point, actually, that it gets a bit ridiculous. Um, but but I think podcasters do have to be honest. I mean, everyone knows Alistair Campbell's uh, Labour leanings. He doesn't try and hide it. But actually what he says is really informed. Um, I think, obviously, you know, you've never hidden your, your, uh, your, your involvement with the Labour Party, nor yeah, should you. No, but we also um, we also offer insights that and and all the, the the other podcasters do. You and I, when we set out to do this, we couldn't just be two journalists who sit on the fence, who say on one side this, on the other side that. I think people are a little bit sick of a both sidesism. Yeah. I used to be particularly annoyed at the BBC when they debate. Brexit was one, but I'll give another example, climate change, where you'd give airtime to people like Nigel Lawson, the former chancellor, who is no, he's no climate scientist. He's, he's no more qualified to talk about the effects of carbon emissions into the environment than, than you or I. And yet they would put him up to give this false equivalence that there was somehow two sides to a debate. And, you know, I used to run a debate series in Manchester called Discuss, and we we absolutely would not put on the agenda that we would discuss the reality or otherwise of climate change. It was not a legitimate thing to debate that there are two sides of. The BBC couldn't somehow do this. They used to do the same around Islam as well, where they would often get some absolute idiot like Tommy Robinson to come on a news programme and have a debate with someone like Mo Ansar or Amjem Chowdhury as some kind of spokesperson for um, for Islam. And it honestly, it used to really grind my gears. No, absolutely. And uh, I think it grinds my gears as well. Uh, I think I think the thing with uh, podcasters, though, is they've got to think to themselves, though, if they then interview the person that they've, you know, made unpleasant comments about, can they be completely impartial? And um, I, I think what we try and do is we try and look at politics and <coughs> to give an opinion, but also to try and be fair as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be fair as well. I didn't hear what Emily Maitlis said, the context in which she said that about Boris Johnson. I would, I'd have done the same as well because... There was another BBC journalist, apologies, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, who's been taken off the air because she was all giddy and excited. And she says, I can't contain my excitement about the whole, yeah. you know, is Boris coming back? You know, they were tracking the flight and all the rest of it. And and that was, and people criticised her on Twitter for being too enthusiastic about this whole stuff. I think she was just excited about the news, to be honest with you. Yeah. And you would be if you're in the febrile atmosphere of a newsroom and you've got a former prime minister coming back. I, I, I get that. People, people aren't robots. They can express opinions and views. And one of the things that I think Emily Maitlis was probably railing against was this idea, this, this sort of post-truth environment that the truth is whatever powerful people say it is. Trump has completely debased politics in America 
by having his alternative set of facts. And Johnson just used to lie when he opened his mouth. He'd just get through one interview to the other. And serious journalists who took the truth seriously would have found that really, really frustrating. You know what I found frustrating? I don't want to open up the Boris Johnson story again, but nobody seemed to comment on the fact that although Parliament was sitting, he was on a holiday in the yeah, Caribbean. Yeah. You know, it, like he's flying back from his holiday in the Caribbean. I know he gets £115,000 for a speech, but actually he's a sitting MP. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't like that at all. Now, thanks to you, Michael, um, you, you know, you came up today, you arrived at this uh, podcast wearing your flat cap. I'm in a shirt and tie. So your desperate efforts to get me to be nor- more, more northern have got a way to go. But tonight... Tonight, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. Yeah, tonight yeah. I am going to surprise my wife with a date night. And I think you need to know a bit more about this. <laughs> okay, go on, tell uh, me all about it. Okay. So presumably you're taking her to um, the opera or you're taking her out for a nice meal. <laughs> you're going to a harvester in Chorley or something. Look, actually, uh, there's a place called the Bobbin Mill and it's always between the Bobbin Mill and the harvester in Chorley when I do take Mrs. M out. Um, but go you on. do get, you get a curry and a beer night on one night and another night is a uh, burger night. To treat a I do, absolutely. You? Well, you, obviously, Obviously, you and uh, you and Mrs. Taylor recently went to Porto this weekend as well. So I was inspired by what you did uh, in terms of going away for the weekend. So all things being equal, tonight, uh, Tuesday night, Mrs. M will arrive at Warrington um, at Warrington to see Papua New Guinea and the Cook Islands in the rugby league. Now, wow. she doesn't like sport. <laughs> she doesn't like rugby league. She doesn't like to be cold. And she's and she's asked me whether or not she needs to dress up. And right. I've just so, said, so Chris, remind me. I think you've told me you've done this sort of thing before. How did that end? Yeah, well, what it was is um, every year in the summer, our kids would go to my in-laws for two days. And me and Mrs. M would go on a date night both nights and we would surprise each other. And the last time I did that, um, I took her to Accrington Stanley to watch a, uh, it was a League Cup game against Hull. It wasn't the best game in the world, but the weather was nice. And we got, we got a pie and, um, and, and, and peas, mushy peas. And uh, Mrs. <laughs> not guacamole. M, no, no, not guacamole. No, and Mrs. M, it's fair to say she wasn't pleased. Um, you can call her Leah. You know? Leah, yeah. She said to me that she wanted to go at half time. And we even managed to listen to the penalties on the way home. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not holding out high hopes for tonight, but uh, I'm hopeful that uh, I'll be back to give another episode of The Northern Spin. Fantastic. So I, I have indeed been to Porto. I think I had slightly more success with my football-induced weekend in Porto. We went to the Classico on uh, Friday night, which was Porto against Benfica, the biggest game in Portuguese football. It ended up 1-0 to Benfica. And it's just fabulous. 55,000 people in the Stade de Drago. And we enjoyed it so much, we decided we'd go and see another football match. So we took the train up to Gumaresh, which is the historic uh, first original capital of Portugal, where we saw Vitoria play Boa Vista. It ended up 3-2, which to my mind is the best result in football. 3-2 is always the best result. It's an exciting game. And whereas I'd say... Benfica Porto was like Man City against Arsenal. I'd say Vitoria against Boa Vista was a bit more Wigan against Blackburn Rovers. How much would those tickets be at Boa Vista? Uh, they were thirty euros each. Right. Okay. Yeah. So probably at like twenty five pound. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the don't even ask me how much the Porto no. Benfica tickets were because I bought them off a off a off a ticket out whatever they are for a lot of money, but it's yeah. worth it. It's worth it. Absolutely. So, right, that's all for us on this bumper edition of Northern Spin. We're also now on Twitter, 
So can I remind you to follow us on at northernspin underscore spin one. I'll say that again. At northernspin underscore spin one. Is there a spin spin no, two? No, no, unfortunately, there is a northern spin. Uh, so as a consequence, I had to use the hashtag, hashtag northern underscore spin uh, one. Great. Uh, but if you follow both of us, you'll Fantastic. see it on there. So can we ask you to give us a five-star review on Spotify? Can you do us a proper full-out review on Apple? Tell all your fran- friends, family, and foes to give us a listen. Thank you to What Media, again, for, for uh, producing this podcast. They do such a great job of it. Oscar Technology for sponsoring the show. Elliot Taylor for providing the music with his track, New Beginnings. This has been Northern Spin. I'm Michael Taylor. And I'm Chris McGuire.